2: Oh, how was that? We're back. Yeah, that is Pink Cola that you can hear in the background by Samuel Flynn Scott. And you know what that means? That is the Offspins theme song, the Spinoffs Cricket Podcast. We're back for the first time in, I think, about 18 months. And August 2019. First since 2019. And I'm joined here by Simon Day. Can you tell us why we're back? We're out of retirement. Um, just like when the
0: president of Pakistan asked Imran Khan to make a comeback for the 1992 World Cup, when the Black Caps were confirmed as finalists in the World Test Championship, uh, spin-off editor... Toby Mannhire, practically the president, Mm. uh, asked us to reform, to get the band back together, to lead uh, the cricket podcast, the local cricket podcasting world to Lords and – to track the lead up to the Test Championship.
2: It is not the first time uh, either you or I have been compared to current Pakistan President Imran Khan and it won't be the last time either. But uh, but
0: tell us... I was actually rolling around Pakistan on the back of uh, the Isuzu Jeeps which act as sort of public transport. You sort of just hold on to the outside. <laughs> I was wearing my um, 1992 Cricket World Cup. Shirt as I did throughout that um, journey, which really broke down barriers. Mm. But as we rolling through these little villages, and people would shout out to me, Martin Crow couldn't beat Imran's <laughs> cornered tigers," <laughs> and this is sort of twenty years after the fact, and I thought that was very cool. That I mean, they, still weren't such wrong. A, they know, went they... wrong. They went wrong.
2: So we are we are back for the World Test Championship, but I mean. As well as that, it has been an amazing summer of cricket. And at a certain point, uh, you know, uh, I'd like to say that there was a huge clamour from the public for this. But, I mean, I think it was probably a grand total of, like, three tweets or something asking us to come back. I reckon it's about ten Ten, yeah, ten tweets. Whatever. I felt,
0: you know, warmed in my soul by the, uh, the the demand for the for the offspin to return.
2: Yeah, but either way, I think we probably felt it in our hearts that somehow this uh, incredible summer of cricket, uh, which you know, uh, in the middle of the year, you could have looked ahead and thought there's absolutely no way we're getting any cricket this summer, and then. Uh, what we have actually had has been one of the greatest seasons of all time. And so I think we both felt deep in our hearts that we, we just had to be back for it. Because it was, it was going to
0: ha- be hard to justify at this point with COVID-19 and... Uh... My change in circumstance since... Um, yeah, tell us about young Kane and s- young Trent. Mark and Steve. Mark and Steve. <laughs> so on, uh, on Boxing Day, in the second session of um, the Boxing Day test, uh, New Zealand's first appearance there in 30 years, I think mm. it was. Uh Max and Freddie Austin Day were born. Uh, I was checking Crick Info uh during uh the, the Caesarean section. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Um and you know I was really I'm really stoked with Boxing Day as a birthday.
2: It's every good, isn't year
0: it? we'll either go to the cricket or watch the cricket. They they watched the Boxing Day test this year. They had, I I baked them a um a cricket cake, which I iced green and then got those little figurines from, um, oh, what is it called? I think it's just called Test Match, <laughs> the little uh, trigger board game cricketing thing, and made, a, made an oval full of uh, cricket players. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried about if I'm going to become one of those dads, uh, <laughs> become like Shubman Gill's dad when he scored that vital 90 uh, something <laughs> yeah. uh, on the front page of um, the Delhi Times or whatever. Shubman's dad was uh, castigating him for mm. not going on to score 100 despite laying the foundations for a dramatic mm. Um, mm. final. So, it hasn't just been a great summer of cricket in New Zealand. That Australian Indi- India series was amazing. I think the only thing I like more than watching New Zealand win is potentially watching Australia lose.
2: I mean, at, I'm I'm at the sort of stage at the moment where I'm I'm perfectly comfortable seeing India lose against almost anyone. Uh, I mean, the power of the BCCI, and we can talk about that in a while. But uh, but you know, they are sort of the empire of cricket now in a way um well it's maybe a slightly loaded term to use about a sport like cricket but we'll With just we'll, as well. we'll blow right past that i think but at the same time i think what made that series so satisfying is that it was india b you know the between between them for the last test that they played their bowlers had something like four test matches between them all uh most of their batters were out Virat Kohli, who, uh, great batter, but, eh, you know... Is he a great captain? He's a competitor, you could say, and sometimes competitors are kind of unattractive people to watch on the field. Uh, but I just felt that throughout that series, watching the Australians get increasingly ragged as their, uh, uh, you know, they call it the mental disintegration over there, and as that came unstuck and they came up against much more powerful minds, the likes of R. Ashwin, you know. He's, Imagine he's, sledging that well in your second language, you know. That's so good, so good. And he was sharper and and cleverer than than a wicketkeeper. Which isn't How that often? hard. He's yeah. an Australian wicketkeeper.
0: Yeah. But it, it, it also appears very hard to swing the ball as an Australian without sandpaper.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so and Mitchell Stark is not the man days. he used to be.
2: Yeah. Oh. We got them at the worst possible time, I suppose. But uh, that's
0: what it was. If there wasn't going to be a lucrative sponsor, and we are looking for sponsorship, if anyone out there is interested. But for now, the offspin is brought to you by New, New Zealand's number one land land defunct landline company, Clear Clear <laughs> Communications, is the uh, headline sponsor of the black ca- uh, of the
2: offspin until uh, we find a, an alternative. Yeah. Now you you were going to get a tattoo. Of the Clear logo if New Zealand won the World Cup. And I will get a uh, tattoo of the Clear logo if we win the World Test Championship. That is a huge, huge bet to make because we have got a reasonable it's a, chance. It's not a,
0: it's, not a, it's not a bet, it's a uh, acknowledgement of the role that Clear played in funding my passion mm. through the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. Uh, and I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't uh, for Clear. And Vivaldi as well. Shout out to the Four, the four Seasons. seasons yeah. I assume it will be summer.
2: <laughs> National <laughs> Bank.
0: I would. I would bank with the National Bank uh, if it also hadn't. It appears if you sponsor cricket, you uh, you sort of collapse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as Simon said, we are looking for a sponsor with long term prospects, but um, won't hold our breath. I suppose in terms of that uh, World Test Championship. Right now it's looking most likely uh, that New Zealand will be playing India. Uh, at the time of recording, England has just uh, suffered a diabolical batting collapse. Capitulated. I love it. It's a word you yeah. don't use very often outside of cricket. Yeah, 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 indeed. Indeed, because it it implies uh, that it starts off as a contest and then one side just, it just gives up, throws in the towel. Uh, and it's... Um, you know, I think it is always very cool watching games in the subcontinent in which uh, uh, you know Anglo-Sphere batsmen uh, completely brick it against spin. But that's not necessarily going to be uh, what the Test at Lords for the World Test Championship is like. So, I mean, does that, uh, I mean, does that change our prospects or our chances? How much would it do so? Kyle Jameson just makes
0: me so excited as a as a Test match bowler, especially at at Lords. Mm. Um, you know the idea of the way that Glenn McGrath used the slope. Uh, I can see to just just deftly move the ball away from the on the right handers bowling down the hill at Lords. I can see Kyle Jameson doing the same thing. Mm. You know that's it's the most ridiculous start to a career I've ever. Um, Ever seen. I'm going to pull up his stats.
2: All right, while you're doing that, I've got a a, a kind of fun uh, Kyle Jameson story uh, in that he may well end up getting paid by India to beat them in the World Test Championship. So the way that this works... Now, I could be completely wrong about this, and I haven't seen it reported anywhere else, so I'm sort of extrapolating out He's done some brief Google research, though. I've done some brief Google research on on Indian cricket sites as well. So I I think that they would have this right. Multiple sources. Multiple sources. So basically my understanding is that when a player gets sold in the IPL, when an overseas player gets sold in the IPL, on top of what they get paid, the BCCI, the Board of Control for Cricket in India, also pays 20% of that fee to the host board. So... In Kyle Jamison's case, he got sold for two point eight million, I believe. Twenty uh, percent of that is back of the envelope—a fuck ton of money. He's currently on a retainer with New Zealand Cricket for about a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and there would be match fees on top of that, and all of that, and bonuses, whatever. But the point is, is that Indian cricket is effectively. Going to be funding the Black Caps to pay Kyle Jamieson to play against, and quite possibly play a defining role in beating them in a major global tournament. That uh, that just seems like one of those examples of how cricket economics are are fucked, basically. So one of the
0: memes I've seen is that uh, Royal Challengers Bangalore bought um, him. For that fee, mm. because they want him to bowl in the nets to Kohli to prepare him for the World Test Championship.
2: <laughs> so that's. The, uh, did th- you see the other one in which? Uh, oh, I can't remember which team Stephen Fleming works for, but they bought uh, Chiteshwar Pujara purely so that he wouldn't be able to go and play county cricket and get like warmed up in English conditions. English
0: yeah, I, I'd love if uh, cricket was that sort of devoted to espionage Mm. Well, it kind of has been with the
2: look it's entirely possible i mean really average cheating uh. (laughs) well uh the real challenges bangalore have been putting out videos on youtube recently uh and their coach mike hesson uh he seems like a seven-dimensional chess genius basically but what the videos are is it's the meeting room where the ipl auction strategy is being thrashed out. And so you'll see things like them talking about how they've got Jamison as a target, but also Chris Morris and uh, uh, one of the Australian bowlers, one of the Richardsons. There's two of them at the moment. But basically, the three of them are all targets. But the way that they want to get Jamison is by inflating the bidding for Morris to the point that the team that gets him can no longer afford to buy uh, anyone else. So, you know, it's possible. Or Mike Heston this is, possible? is apparently a very good gambler. So it sounds really? like
0: it plays into uh, that sort of approach to the world. Mm. So here's, here's Kyle's stat lines. We'll start with batting. He's played in six matches, had six innings, and has scored 226 runs at 56.5 and a strike rate of 70. So he's a genuine all rounder at this point. Oh, it's beautiful to see. Uh, and bowling six matches, 12 innings, <clears throat> 36 wickets at an average of 13 and an economy rate of 2.3. He's like Freddie Flint off, but. Good. Yeah, better, way, way better. Yeah, yeah. And doesn't get really drunk and try and um,
2: take, a, take a
0: pedal boat. <laughs> this is one of my favourite cricket stories. At the World Cup in the Caribbean. Uh, England were doing terribly um, and after a loss, Andrew Flintoff and I can't remember who else uh, got in one of those pedal boats where you turn uh, the big wheels mm. Uh, mm. with your feet and he had heard that Ian Botham was hosting a really great party in a super yacht out in the harbour and he tried to get all the way out into open sea in a, in a pedal boat to go to um Beefy's uh, party on his super yacht.
2: Yeah. Didn't make it. Didn't make it. Damn. Poor guy. Poor guy. Um, we should probably uh, set up what uh, the rest of this episode is going to be. So uh, over, over the course of the summer, uh, one of the real highlights for me has been the Super Smash double headers. Uh, I think that's been cool as hell to see just one game of cricket followed by another game of cricket. I mean, and uh, the guest for the guest for today's episode. Uh, last night, I interviewed Canterbury Magicians captain Frankie McKay, uh, who who was the the winning captain for the tournament. She's just been called up back to the White Ferns again. Uh, hell of an interesting story, actually, because she was out of international cricket for something like five years. A long, long time, and so we sort of get into why that was, and 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 what she was doing in the interim. She was a librarian. I asked her for a book recommendation. You know, I think, uh, I think, I think people will get a lot out of this interview. And do you want to tease why she was out for so long? Was it form or? Look, it's by the sound of it, it was a couple of things. I mean, there was a there was a serious injury after her first comeback in in twenty nineteen, but. I mean, the big part of it seemed to be that uh, she was picked too young in the first place and basically psyched herself out. So uh, the determination to come back from a setback like that, pretty remarkable stuff, really.
0: Who was the, um, the wim- woman in the Super Smash who just crushed it all season?
2: Uh, there are a couple. There are a couple. Uh, So you're probably thinking of Sophie Devine.
0: I saw a really cool clip on Spark Sport where uh, they cut to the crowd Mm. interviewing a young boy, and he was, you know, sort of rhetorical question, how about that Finn Allen innings? (laughs) And this cool little kid was like, well, wasn't as good as Sophie Devine's. Yeah. And I think um, it really shows that idea that if you – show people uh, women's sport, they'll mm. embrace it. And, mm. and until you do, they can't. And um, that's what this summer of domestic
2: cricket did really, really well. Absolutely, yeah. And I think as well, uh, it's um, it's one of those issues that I think the White Ferns have had for a long time in that uh, the depth of players underneath the international team hasn't necessarily been strong enough. But, uh, th- you know, this tournament's going to really do... Uh, Really important things for that wider sense of depth, I think, because there's been a lot of players who uh, who have been coming through as a result of it who uh, might not have necessarily uh, been in a position to end up in the White Ferns without a sort of a really rigorous tournament that had to put them through their paces. I mean, have you heard of Fran Jonas yet? No. So she's 16 years old, she's a left arm orthodox spinner. in the game down at Eden Park that I went and watched the semi-final, uh, she got Divine out with just. Uh, I mean, you know, it was one of those deliveries uh, where where words cannot convey the the beauty and the poetry of the flight that she put on it. Just snuck it straight through Divine, trapped in front, dead set LBW. She's sixteen. Very, very good. Very, very good. And and likely, uh, along with Amelia Kerr, to be the White Fern Spin Partnership for, I don't know, two decades? Amelia must be barely 20. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's not old at all. <laughs> and yet she's been a veteran for a while
0: now. Um, Amelia Kerr was born on the 13th of October in the year 2000.
2: That makes me feel fucking old, Yeah, yeah. It's terrible.
0: If she's not old, we definitely are. Yeah. Um, and with the Women's World Cup in New Zealand in 2022, I think it's a huge opportunity for the Absolutely,
2: sport. yeah. And I really hope that goes ahead. I mean, I think uh, one of the problems that the White Ferns have really had this summer is that, uh, you know, and I don't want to criticise New Zealand cricket too much here because I think they're in a bit of a bind with the economics of cricket right now, but for... It, you know, it was really late in the summer that the England and Australia tours actually got confirmed. Uh, to the point where I was sort of—I wrote a preview article when the summer of cricket was beginning, and at that stage, it wasn't even confirmed if any women's cricket at an international level would be taking place. And so, you know, with the World Cup coming up, I'm I'm desperate for it to happen. Uh, but with COVID and with the more difficult economics of women's cricket, it, you know, you gotta wonder if it's if it's in a bit of doubt at this stage. It's Fingers so interesting crossed.
0: to th- think what the world will look like in March 2022. Because
2: mm, mm. March 2020. Looked very different to what it does. Yeah. Yeah, It sure did. Sure did. Uh, New Zealand was playing a one-day series in Australia and and not looking like doing that well in it. And uh, look at them now. Different world.
0: Number one team in the world, test cricket team in the world, really great piece by Michael Appleton. Is that the correct pronunciations Mm. of Michael's name? Uh, That analyses the, um, the rise of the New Zealand team and shows how far we've really come. And I... You know, even as a passionate fan, I didn't truly appreciate how bad we were for so long. (laughs) Um, And I think that's what makes it uh, so much fun to be doing well. Yeah. Supporting the All Blacks must suck because you've constantly got this expectation of, of victory. And if you don't get it, it's kind of deeply disappointing. Whereas. Being a Black Caps fan, it's this really exciting roller coaster, and you never quite know what you're
2: going to get. Mm, I completely agree. Uh, I, I look forward to disappointment and failure uh, to offset all of this wonderful success. Anyway, we should throw to uh, the interview now because we've been rambling for quite a while. It's just good to talk cricket again, isn't it? It's
0: and it's um, you know I talk cricket a lot with the little boys, but they are yeah. only
2: one, so there's not uh, a not lot a lot of, of back chat yet. No, not a lot of sledging coming from coming from the field is there
0: but i've got but I'll, I'll post some photos we've got a um a matthew hayden type shape and a uh chris martin type shape a gangly one and a and a buff one
2: <laughs> Sweet. all right um okay so this is the chat that i had last night with frankie mckay and we will be right back after it all right so frankie mckay how are you going how's dunedin
1: Ah, oh, it's lovely, actually. A little little bit overcast, but uh, a welcome change from Christchurch, which was getting into the 30 degrees, so to come and and get those low 20s temperatures actually, actually quite a nice change.
2: I bet it is. It must be kind of nice for the English as well. I mean, they're probably not used to that sort of thing, are they?
1: Yeah yeah we've definitely cooked them in the sun in Christchurch a few of them were loving it but yeah i think the the majority were sweltering away right
2: uh, so we're we're talking on a wednesday night you've just come out of a team meeting after the first game of the england series and i'd have to imagine that was a that was a bit of a tough team meeting to have
1: uh, it was reasonably lengthy to be honest but it, it actually wasn't too tough it wasn't too brutal there were, i mean, a few home truths so i think we didn't probably bet bowl or field as well as we could have and Mm. and then the English side they were pretty impressive as well game one so I think there's some pretty obvious areas that that even your pundits sitting at home on their their couches they'd be able to pick out what went wrong so there wasn't too much soul searching going on there we're only one game into a series so yeah a a few wee things to tighten up on a few wee things that we'd like to Improve on, and then hopefully hit the ground running here in Dunedin. Mm.
2: I I have to ask uh, in the in the team reviews, uh, did your teammates give you any stick about bowling in sunglasses? I mean, it's pretty filthy at the international level, right?
1: No, 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 nothing like that. No, I've done it my whole career, so no, don't get don't get any stick for it. But it's it's definitely better than bowling in a hat, though.
2: Right, yeah, it, it, absolutely, absolutely. For the fans at home, you know, you hate to see it, I suppose. But um, it, like I suppose just, just watching the game, it did seem like it, it was really difficult for the White Ferns to kind of get any control over proceedings, and, and especially in the second innings when Beaumont and Knight were, uh, you know, it looked like they had decided they just wanted to crush the total rather than work their way slowly towards it. I mean, how, how do you counter that sort of mindset in the other team?
1: Yeah, I think that the, just the fact that we didn't put enough runs on the board, that always makes things tough. We were at least 50, maybe even probably closer to 100 runs short. So when you get into that position, you, you have to go out with the ball and, and be trying to take wickets and, and trying to take 10 of them, ideally. So it means you've got to set the taking fields, you've got to try to keep the fielders up. And, and when you get a couple of quality players in, and, and we let them get in as well, they were able to just work the ball around early in their innings and then... When they wanted to put the foot down, they were in, they were set. We kind of had to keep the field up to try and create mm. that illusion of pressure to try and have people in catching positions to try and snap for 10 wickets. So a little bit of a perfect storm when, when you get in that position. So kind of bowler's a little bit on a hiding to nothing. But, yeah, I, I think the English hats off to them. I think they played fantastically well. We were definitely under par, but but I think they were they were very disciplined across all three formats Um I think they, they fielded really well. I think mm. that was probably the, the biggest improvement from what we'd seen of them in, in Queenstown. They're always consistent uh, with the ball in hand, and, and we saw that again at Hagley. And then, yeah, the batsmen came out, and with a, a small title and a good wicket, they were able to just have a bit of fun out there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't I, I can't really put this on you at all because it's your first game back in a while, but um, that is that is about, uh, I think, 10 ODIs now in a row that the, that the White Ferns have... N- haven't won, and and how's the morale going in the team? I mean, how do you how do you pick yourself up after that kind of record?
1: Oh, I think it's actually the the nice thing about it is it's actually pretty easy to pick yourself up after a game like that. I think, yeah, there's there's a lot spoken about how there's there's that ten losses in a row, and that's never a nice that to have next to your team's name, but. The fact is uh, there's actually so little cricket played at the moment that, mm. uh, that that stretches out over quite a long period of time. So you've got a lot of new faces coming in. You've got a lot of new people. You've got new coaches, new support staff. We've we've had new captains come in as well through that time period. So, yeah, it's it's not as though we've played 10 games in, in the space of a couple of months and lost them all and everything's mm. feeling dry. There's, there's a bit of space between those games. Some new faces, some young faces as well. I thought both of the debutants were were just brilliant in the way that they handled the games, I think. They just looked pretty cool and calm and, and collected with it and, and whilst they might have felt like they were they were pretty nervous and, and felt a little bit under the pump with their first international game, I thought they were both brilliant. So there's lots of good moments like that along the way and I think there has been in, in the last team games as well. So it's just trying to pick out a few of those positives and, and ideally get yourselves into a position where you can actually win games. And mm. I, I think enough people who've played in very successful sides. I mean, the Blaze have, have barely lost at the domestic level over the last three years. Magicians this year came through and, and won the Super Smash title. Which yeah, was I was, was
2: going to say the Blaze lost relatively recently, didn't they? Yeah, Is that a subtle
1: dig from you? About this year. But look, I mean, they, they've won the last three Uh, T20 titles leading into this year and they've been unbeaten in doing that so there's a lot of players who who have had that success at domestic level who know how to win, who know how to win close games and and at the domestic level are the people that that have to put their hand up and get the job done in those pressure situations so we've got those people in the team got people that have played their cricket all around the world and, and domestic and franchise sides all around the world. So it's all sitting there. I think it'll just take one of those days where it all, all comes together, all clicks, and then this this team, I think, will be away laughing. And, and hopefully it comes in the next couple of days here in Deden. We can win two on the bouncer and go home with a series victory. And then Aussie coming over later, it'd be lovely to be able to tip them up as well. And then all of a sudden, you know, 10 losses in a row, it's actually we're, we're on a winning streak and we're looking pretty good coming into Home World Cup as well.
2: Totally totally well uh you you personally this uh was your first ODI in 7 years i believe and you you had 5 years out of the international game altogether i mean it's incredibly rare for athletes uh to have a break like that and still actually manage to come back so so why were you out for so long and and what kept you going through all of that time
1: yeah it's a bit of an interesting question that one i think uh, I probably got picked for the international game a little bit early in my career and, and just probably didn't have the the coping mechanisms for for failing and, and for mm-hmm. not having this, just that success that you are used to. I think I'd come through age group cricket and, and then into the domestic scene and never really had poor runs of form. It had always been one of the better players and able to contribute to teams and then all of a sudden – in the international game, it probably had a, a couple of little deficiencies in in my game, which of course you do when you're, you're 20 years old. Mm. And then I found myself just struggling with uh, being away on tour a lot, and it just never really found my found my place. And I think um, I was very intense as a young cricketer; it was really just cricket was was life. So. When you had losses and, and poor runs of form, they weighed pretty heavily, which which wasn't much fun. And, and then uh, when I was initially dropped, it was with the advice to, to go and find work uh, and passions outside of cricket. So to go and find a job that, that wasn't cricket based. So that for me, I, that's how I ended up becoming a librarian. So I think probably awesome. as, as far from cricket as you could possibly get. And, and then just, yeah, for found myself out of the team for a long period of time and, and I don't think over that stretch it was due to a lack of, of form. I think I, I put good numbers on the board through that time. And that was probably really frustrating as a as a reasonably, you know, young player in the in the international and domestic game as well. As I felt like I was ticking all the boxes and doing all the right things. But but obviously wasn't and, and got some feedback that was helpful. And and of course you get some feedback that's not that helpful mm. along, along the lines as well. And yeah, I just think, uh, over the last few while I've, I've definitely grown up and matured. I'm a hundred percent one of the old girls. Now everyone's very, very quick to remind me just how much older than Fran Jonas I am and, and all that stuff. So I think you just grow up. I think I'm in a, a good place just with life. I, I love being involved in the Canterbury Magicians setup. Love having the chance to to captain there and and lead that group and and do a bit of coaching as well and try and pass on kind of all the things I've learned over my career and try and make players better. The year I think that's that's something that's really energising uh, for me and my cricket and. And I think I've just just mellowed out. I'm happy with who I am and and where I'm at. I don't have things to prove to people. I uh, I probably don't wind people up the same amount, and and for better use, I, I probably don't piss as many people off. I'm <laughs> I'm a bit more bit more level, and, and my opinions have probably levelled out as well. So yeah, I, I think I I probably you know wound a few people up and and got offside with a few people within the New Zealand cricket setup, and. And it's a small world. It's a it's a small sport, women's cricket, especially you know five seven years ago. It's it was a much smaller smaller mm. world than it is now, with the semi professional nature and the amount of youngsters that are exposed to cricket and playing cricket. So, yeah, I think you, you know little mistakes made along the way as a as a youngster and and. Probably, always felt like I was doing the right thing for the team and the right thing for for teammates around me, and and with a bit of age and experience and and that little healthy dose of hindsight, uh, you you probably recognise that there's a few situations you could handle differently, and and I would now. So. Yeah, it's just nice. It's nice to come back into the international game. I think when I last came back into the T20 side, after five years, I felt in a really, really good place with my cricket and come off the back of some really good form and, and felt like I really had something to contribute to the international game and, and lasted, you know, had a little hit with the bat and lasted three balls bowling before I essentially blew my ankle to shreds yeah. and ended up surgery and six or seven months of rehab. So that, that probably wasn't perfect timing. It would have been nice to to have had the last couple of years having a good run around in international cricket and, and I probably thought the the time for me to be selected back into the side had had passed me by. So I guess with that it brings about a bit of freedom at the domestic level you're really clear about why you play and and the reasons for continuing to play and, and what you've got to offer your domestic side so I think when you get that, that clarity and that, that freedom in the way you want to play your cricket then you end up with some really good results and, and that's what's happened and, and it's been enough to nudge me back into into the international frame and that's and been really nice. Groups, group's been awesome, it's been so cool to be involved and I'd love to walk out of here with a trophy as well but uh, we'll, we'll see how the next couple of games go.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd... I will ask you about the domestic stuff, but just quickly, I've got to go back. Uh, As a librarian, what's the best thing you've read recently?
1: Oh, that's a great, that is a great question, actually. I think it's a really interesting one because I think at this time of year, I actually don't get as much reading done as I'd like to because Mm. I feel like I'm here, there and everywhere. But uh, what I've just started reading, uh, which is for the real cricket lovers out there, is uh, The History of Women's Cricket, The Warm Sun on My Face. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah
1: couple of kilos heavy and it is a really, really big book, but there's, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful publication. The, the team have done such a good job with it. So I've started working my way through that. It might take me potentially the rest of the season, but uh, I'll definitely get through it in the end um
2: so i i did say i'd ask about the domestic stuff and uh you capped canterbury to the title this year i mean i just want to go back to one moment in the game though you had done a pretty mighty job with the ball in the first innings and you set a platform with the bat and then uh the team was 60 for six chasing 126 and i mean surely you must have thought it was all over then right
1: <laughs> that's actually a, that's a brilliant question because I think I was possibly the only person that didn't think we were dead and buried. I, I actually I said to I said to a lot of people since that game I woke up Wednesday morning before playing that final on a Saturday and just had this really good feeling about what was going to happen. I thought you know we're the we're the top qualifier, so I'm probably going to be the one tossing the coin, even though we're playing in Wellington. I just had this feeling that Maddie was gonna call heads and it was gonna be tails and I was gonna to get to pick what we were gonna do and, and that's exactly what happened and, and we had the chance to bowl first and I, and I think we'd shown the blueprint of, of how we wanted to go up pl- about playing Wellington the last time we played them there and and to get them, you know, seven, eight down for for just hundred and twenty five. It just everything felt good and I just felt nice and mm. nice and calm about it. And yeah, there were a couple of little nervous moments, but I just had this this overriding feeling that that we we're actually okay. We were we were going okay. I, I think Kate Ibrahim, I think she look, she just grows another leg when it comes to finals cricket. If there's one person in the country who who I would want in my team on finals day, she is one. And a very, very close second would be Leah to her So mm. when she walked out to that, she just looked really she just looked really calm, really, really like she had it under control. And I just sat there thinking, you know, we're we good. we we've, we've got this and the coach actually came over and, and had a bit of a chat about, well, you know, what are we going to do if this goes south and how are we going to address the team and stuff? And I said, no, no, we're good, we're good. <laughs> we're, we're out of control. So, yeah, it was just a funny day. I batted with Kate Ibrahim uh, earlier in the day and and even uh, six overs in, we were kind of saying, I just kept saying, if we can get close to 85 with four overs to go, we're a chance. If we can get to 16 overs and we got 85 on the board, we're okay, we're okay. And she kind of said, oh, okay, that's really good comms. Like, mm. Yeah, that sounds good to me. And then I went out a few overs later and, and, and she she was just thinking, sheesh, that 85's a long way away, a long way <laughs> away. So, uh, but no, I kept her going in and it sounds like the conversations between her and Leah were, were wonderful about how they were going to take it down. We ended up at 82 uh, with four overs to go and, and it was enough. That we were able to get ourselves over the line. But I think, I think the way that Leah went out and batted that game, it was just – it was brilliant to watch, and I kind of wish that I didn't have the faith quite as much as I did, because some of the girls, just the emotional roller coaster that they said they went on during that game, that it would have been nice to experience it, but also, yeah, pretty nice to to come out of it, thinking we were going to win, and, and ending up getting over the line as well.
2: Yeah, well, never in doubt, I suppose, for you. I sp- <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, I I hated watching it personally. I'm a Wellingtonian originally, and I thought, in the bag, absolutely in the bag, but... Uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, with uh, with the tournament, uh, there was a massive step up this year uh, for the Super Smash, and I'm talking about the version with the Magicians and the Blaze. But uh, do you feel like, um, uh, you know, the the women's teams are getting paid something now? But uh, would you say that it's it's yet being treated like a, a professional competition?
1: Yeah, I think it's a it's a little bit of a tricky one to to get exactly right. I think it's great that there is now some money coming into the sport. I think it's it's wonderful and and it's needed as well. I think uh, the demands on players, if if you're not going to be providing any financial um, assistance to go along with that, just just become too hard. And, mm. and what you end up finding is players who get into their mid late twenties, they end up giving the game away because they just financially can't afford to to stay in it. So I think that's. That's brilliant. There, there has to be discussions around, you know, uh, for a domestic uh, playing agreement is three thousand two hundred and fifty dollars before tax. Is that really going to change change your life? No, it's not. Is it going to change how many hours in a week you have to work? No, it's probably not either. And, mm. and I think that uh, it's not necessarily the amount of money uh, that that gives you that opportunity, but you've got to have the support of supportive workplace you've got to have an organisation or or a boss who's prepared to see you go down to four days a week or or take a lot of time off to be able to fit in cricket and the money just offsets that if you're doing it as, as unpaid leave so I don't think it's it's perfect at the moment, but I think we're heading in the right direction. And, and I, I definitely had a few discussions with people, uh, especially in the commentary box around the use of professional cricketers. I think there, there's a mm. game that sticks out where uh, the Central Hines were playing Wellington. They, they dropped Sophie Devine, I think five times in the space of five overs and, and there was the, the the question, Grant Elliott, he said, you know, for professional cricketers, they, they should be taking those. And it's like, well, actually, they're not professional. Uh, yes, do we agree that players playing at a domestic level should catch those? Absolutely, and those those central girls would say that too. But to use the professional tag is is not quite accurate. You know, you've got people who are working... 40 hours plus a week who then are trying to fit in their training and, and turning up and playing the domestic game. You've got people who are studying full-time and trying to work alongside that to, to make studying viable. You've got people who are still at, at high school, so you know, they, you're know you never going to be able to consider them full-time professional athletes mm. either. So it's, it's a tricky one in terms of where we sit. Uh, uh, we're probably very much in the, the semi-professional status at the moment, and, and a lot of us still play just because we love it it's it's not because we think we're we're going to end up you know rich and famous from it it's it's purely is for the love of the game and I think that's a really nice pure motive to have for people playing as well I think you get a really nice feel to teams that that everyone's really putting in but I think in, in terms of the way that we've been treated throughout the competition I think it's been brilliant I think the the headers are, are fantastic they work really well I think the fact that uh, associations, organisations—they've been playing some of the the men's games first, and and the mm. women's games. First. I think that's hugely beneficial uh, with just. You know, thirty minutes between games. It means people stay on. If you can put a good product out, it means people watch it. They think actually that was quite good. We'll come along and watch that next time. Um, the fact that we've got it free to air, I think, is is going to be massive for, for cricket in general, but definitely, definitely the women's game. And and just I think Spark Sport have done a really good job with a little bit more access to the players. And and it's been really cool to see the way it's been promoted. There's definitely you know girls now. Getting stopped on the side of the road, and you go out for dinner, and, and people want to come up and have a chat to you about the game. So it's all heading in the right direction. But but we would be, I guess, foolish to say that it's that it's perfect and it's the finished product. But there's there's definitely an increased professionalism that's coming to the game, and and I guess an increased respect from. From associations, organisations, um, the people scheduling the cricket, that actually the the women's product stands up on its own now. It's it's a good product. It well, can get people involved in the game. Of the,
2: one of the things that has come through really strongly this year, it seems, is that uh, people will watch a game of either Super Smash tournament because they're a fan of cricket. Not uh, uh, you know it's not it's not really split in that sense anymore, and that that's something that's possibly unique in New Zealand sport altogether I, I can't think of many other codes where that would actually happen
1: oh it's massive and and, and so cool I mean when the, the young boy uh, at Auckland got interviewed yeah. about yeah Finn Allen and how good he was going and he said yeah he's not a patch on Sophie Devine though no. yeah. so I kids think that's right
2: the too kids are right yeah, you know
1: I, I, it's so cool that these names are, are household names that that parents and families as well uh, can get invested in the women's game. They enjoy the spectacle. The, the crowds have been really good throughout as well. And I just think, you know, the more we can keep promoting it, the, the young girls to, to show that they can do whatever they want in life, that's really nice. But also that – that young boys as well that that they can see that, you know, their sisters and their their classmates they can uh, they can get stuck in too. So I think it's a really cool message to be sending and I think it's always really heartening when you when you see stuff like that and just yeah, the, the reception that we've had from, from a lot of families especially, but but also people who've played the game for a long time who who now recognize that yeah, the spectacle's really good and it's worth watching, it's worth talking about. It's always cool when you you know hear a group of middle-aged men and at work for me and they're all sitting around talking about the women's game that was on at the weekend and yeah. you just think that's that's so cool 10 years ago that just wouldn't have happened Absolutely. so yeah, the visibility that comes with with the super smash i think is brilliant for the game
2: just one one final question when you're doing the commentary is it ever awkward to give your thoughts on the players who you might be meeting in the middle uh, you know next weekend
1: uh, I don't think it's too awkward I think there's probably a few people who Maybe question whether it is a little bit Of a conflict of interest but no I think I think I go by the logic of you're trying To promote the game, you're, you're trying to to find the good things to talk about. You're trying to educate the people watching and, and I wouldn't say anything on, on TV, on the commentary stuff uh, that I wouldn't say to people's faces. So I'm, I'm a pretty open book for stuff like that. <laughs> how, how
2: brutal would you be to their faces though? That's the question. Uh, but, isn't it? Uh,
1: there's, there's nothing too scandalous. There's nothing too controversial. I mean, I like to think that, you know, my door's always open. My phone's always on, on for a chat with people. Uh, I, I love just, Look, I, I really love talking cricket. I love the opportunity to sit down with, with the opposition and with players all through the country and, and talk cricket and, and try and if there's something that I can see in their game that I can pass on or, or help them you know, work on themselves, I think that's a really special position to be in anyway. So, yeah, I definitely have a few people around the country who, who I keep in pretty regular contact with around what's going on in their game and and how I can help them so you know that's a really privileged position to be in and, and then the chance to commentate as well I think it's it's something that I I really love it's it's some days it's a lot easier than playing as well mm. it's really nice to to not uh live and die on that win and loss and to not have to come home and say you know I nicked off first ball and I got hit over my head you know five times <laughs> and yeah, you, you, as long as you steer away from, from controversy and, and stay away from a few choice words, then, then you're pretty safe in the comp box. But no, I, I love doing it and I, I hope and I, and I think from the feedback that I've got that the, the passion I have for, for the women's game and the people involved in the women's game really comes through. So yeah, if I can try and promote it as much as possible, then I do that. And I think pretty much all the players are, are pretty supportive and, and maybe like hearing some of the stuff I have to say as well.
2: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk cricket with you today. Frankie Mackay, thank you so much for coming on the off spin. Really appreciate it and uh, really wishing all the best for the next couple of games of the series and uh, hoping that you're playing at Eden Park on the 5th because uh, then I'll be along to see it.
1: Uh, awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It's It's been wonderful to have you on.
2: Uh, so that was Frankie Mackay, Super Smash winning captain, White Fern spinner, handy lower order batter, uh, and that's pretty much our episode for the day. So, Simon, when are we going to be back? We're back in a month. There's another T20 game
0: against Australia tonight. What colour do you think uh, the uniforms Hopefully New Zealanders is wearing? Hopefully not fucking beige, but honestly. It's, it's not beige. They're wearing oh. – it's like Dijon mustard.
2: It's disgusting. And I,
0: I, I can't stand uh, – different coloured shirt to different coloured pants. Mm. It makes you look like mm. a... Uh, it's loose. A, ..a wrangled together social team. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, some people in black shorts, some people in long white. So I think we need to sort that out. Either go full beige or just stay black.
2: They Honestly, they may as well just turn up in shorts and singlets, uh, whatever they'd wear to the beach. It'll, it would look better at this stage than what they're going out in. But
0: we'll see you again... After the series with Australia, uh, probably right in the middle of uh, the Bangladesh series.
2: Yeah, no but, rhyme or yeah.
0: reason, but um,
2: that's what you love about us. And we should also tease this now uh, in that when the World Test Championship game is on, both Simon and I are going to completely ruin our lives by watching every single ball of that and then recording an episode immediately after it. And uh, then going to work for a day and doing it all again. Yeah, well, you might be going to work for a day. I will. Well, I'll talk to the bosses about it. Anyway, uh, that is the first episode of The Offspin for our new Summer of Cricket season. I'd like to thank Jono for sitting in on production and hopefully at some stage in the future sitting in on an episode as well. And I'd just like to, you know, eternally, uh, eternal pleasure to talk to Simon about cricket again. Oh, you too, Alex. It's good to be back. Thank you for listening. (laughs)